0: Well, praise the Lord. I know now why the internet went down. We'd be thrown out of the Southern Baptist Convention <laughs> if anybody saw this up in here. <laughs> oh, glory, glory. What a blessing. I'm going to have mercy just because I love you. The sermon this morning is on John chapter 15, and I've got a sermon for 14 verses. We made it through six at the early service. I think we can get 10 in here, though. No, I'm joking. We're going to just do six, and we'll pick up next week. Uh, John chapter 15, as we go through the book of John on Sunday morning, what a blessing it has been to be in this book. But would you stand, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, and, and all-sufficient word? The Bible, John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you. First of all, you've never failed us yet. And uh, we're looking for you to do great things this morning, not because of who we are, but because of who we are ambassadors of. We're we're your ambassadors. Uh, What you do, we lift up and praise and thank you. And I ask you to have the freedom to move in and out of these aisles, to touch the hearts of men, women, and children, and God, uh, young people, and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, for those maybe who've grown cold, would you warm our hearts? And to get us ready, Lord, in these last days of the last days, to further the kingdom of God, to still be what you want us to be, we'll praise you and thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus is coming to the end of his uh, journey here on earth, and he spent three and a half years with the disciples and others also, they've seen him, they've heard him, they've watched him do his miracles. No one is closer to Jesus than these 12 disciples. Uh, they, he's done everything they needed to do. If you were to look for a group who could take over someone's ministry, no one is better qualified to take over the ministry of Jesus than these disciples. They've been with him. They've, uh, uh, they, they, they've had supper with him there. Uh, He identified one of them is going to betray him. Judas has dismissed himself, and they're getting closer to the departure of Jesus. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about death on the cross. He's talking about leaving them. And inside of each of these men has to grow an anxiety, a fear, a restlessness, apprehension. You see, before they met Jesus, they didn't have anything. They didn't have any life. They didn't have any purpose. They didn't have any direction and incidentally, that same thing still holds true today. Before we met Jesus, we didn't have any direction. We didn't have any purpose in life. We just did whatever felt right to do. All had been good up to this time. It's been wonderful. Three and a half years were vital and they were real. And, and now he's leaving. And in chapter 14, he shares with them, Let not your hearts be troubled. He said, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving without a purpose. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. But he said, not only am I going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to send one in my place called the Holy Spirit of God. He said, I'm God the Son, but God the Spirit fixing to come down here and take over. And uh, so I want to just encourage you men, be not afraid, be not discouraged, Get it on for God. Don't quit. Just because it looks like you've lost me, don't quit. Keep on. And in John 15, he gives them what he expects out of them. And i tell you, when you read that, you'll be overwhelmed. It, it sounds good. It sounds good on paper. Any, a lot of things sound good on paper. When the rubber meets the road, though, it's a whole different ball game. And it sounds good if you could pull it off. But my soul, how am I supposed to pull this off? And now, Jesus, you said you're not even going to be here with us. And yet you want me to pull this off. He's saying what he expects. You see, you can't have a Christian without Christ. In the Old Testament, God had chosen the nation Israel to be the vehicle or the choice to share the message. In the New Testament, they had rejected him. They rejected the promise of Messiah, the prophet, the priest, the king. John 1.11 says that he came unto his own and his own received him not. These Jews who should have been looking for him, should have been expecting him, should have been longing for him and embracing him, instead they rejected him. They despised him. They ended up crucifying him. Now, he's still got a message and he turns to a local New Testament church with the disciples. But before we begin to just harass these Jews, could I tell you right now that we're in the same shape they were in? We ought to be looking for him. We ought to be longing for him. We ought to be expecting him. If he came in here today, it'd scare half the people to death. I'm expecting him. We need to be expecting him. But I'm afraid rather we're rejecting him. I mean, the local church, these disciples are re- representing the local church. They've, they've talked with him. They've dined with him. They've fellowshiped with him. They've, they've heard him teach. They've seen his preaching. They, they saw the miracles. They know how meek he is. And he's leaving the Last Supper. and Now he's headed for the agony of Gethsemane. And he looks at his chosen ones. Mm. He said, I got a plan. And I expect you to live that plan. In the middle of all the instructions, in the middle of all the commandments, in the middle of all the orders, he makes this statement. These things I command you that my joy might be full, might be in you, and that your joy may be full. Mm. you say I want to tell you something about Jesus now listen to me he's not orchestrating some new religion here He's not giving us a bunch of commands or a bunch of rules or a bunch of regulations or rights or ordinances. He's not trying to bind you up. He's not trying to bore you to death. He's not trying to throw you into turmoil or take your freedom away. Every command, every word, every purpose, every design, every aim, every object, every statement. He said, I've given to you that your joy may be full. I'm giving it to you so your joy can be full. And you read John 15 and realize all these things Jesus wants me to do. And he wants me to do it because that's what makes my joy full. I'm around a lot of folk who claim to be Christians. Bible knowers, Bible quoters, Bible preachers, Bible singers, Bible wannabes. They know the Bible. They know the Roman road, they quote scriptures, they know how to sing songs and their solos are down pat, they know how to dress, they know how to work their ministries, they know how to teach Sunday school, they know how to fill out their tithe and offering envelope, they know how to speak that sanctified church lingo, but at the end of the day, there's no joy, there's no excitement, there's no passion. Jesus didn't come down on the cross for you to endure and get by. He said, I've come to give you abundant life. We look at Christianity like a bunch of rules and regulations. And I can't do this. And I can't go there. I can't wear this. I can't have that. can't say this. And John looks at, uh, uh, Jesus looks at John 15 and he says, listen, I know the devil. I know the world. I know the flesh. I know what all the obstacles are. I know what you're up against. But I'm giving you a criteria. I'm giving you a plan that if you'll live it, if you'll love it, If you'll serve it, you'll wake up every morning with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what he says. Now, I know this is going to go against some of your theology, but just get over it. I got a Savior who wants me to be joyful. I mean, I know there's some that don't. Man, I'm telling you, they're doomed. I listened to an overheard lady in a restaurant last night in Dallas. It's not going to be like Christmas. You know, this COVID stuff just, just is not going to be like Christmas. I thought, well, Jesus is still here. Good grief. Are you celebrating somebody at Christmas that I don't know anything about? I mean, I know Santa Claus, and I know, you know, I know all those people. They're all here. Our Lord's still here. (laughs) Some folks wake up every day, oh, I got to do this. I got to go to church this morning. Oh, Let's hurry up and eat dinner because we just got a little nap, and then I got to go to church tonight. Now, some of you have already stopped right there. (laughs) You're not even going to be back tonight. Oh, I need to read. I need to pray. I've got to go. I've got to give. oh, now it's Wednesday night. Good grief! Already all over again, and we're just wore out. We're wore out. We got it twisted. You see, when you look at John 15, you see a Savior here who slung the stars into space. You see a Savior who put the moon in the right spot. You see a Savior who put the earth on the right rotation. If it was off one degree, you'd freeze to death or burn to death. Some of you think you're freezing to death this morning. I don't know what you're going to do when it gets cold. (laughs) I see a Savior who breathed into mankind and quickened him. He came to life. I see a Savior that made lame men to walk and made dumb men to talk and made the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the dead to live. And I see a Savior who says, Charles, if you'll go to church, if you'll read your Bible, if you'll pray, if you'll sing those precious songs, if you'll fellowship with other Christians, why does he want me to do that? That my joy might be full. That's what it is. He wants my joy to be full. Now, how can I have full joy? Well, point one, and we'll pick up point two and three next week, but point one is abide in Christ. I love point two. It's abound in Christ, but we're on abiding this morning. Abide in Christ. If you want to have joy unspeakable and full of glory, you're going to have to abide in Christ. That word abide means to continue, to stay put, or to remain. Uh, You're going to wake up every morning and be full of joy. Jesus is saying, I want you to be glad. I want you to be glad. There's not much to be glad about. Yeah, there is. If you're saved, you're not going to hell. You ought to be glad at that. Good, gracious. Most of you in this place this morning, you ought to be glad that you're not hungover. I said most. You, you, You ought to be glad you're not wondering where you're going to go when you die. When you're doubting your salvation, you're not doubting because you know you've been saved. The Holy Ghost is living inside of you. Jesus is building a mansion for me. He's going to prepare a place. I'm going to go up there where he is. I ought to be waking up glad this morning. But if I'm going to wake up glad, there's some things that right here, just verse by verse, we want to look at. Number one, there's got to be a conviction. Verse one, I'm the true vine and my father is a husbandman. Listen to me this morning. You may be down, but Jesus is still the vine. You may be messed up, but Jesus is still the vine. You may be uh, in trouble this morning, but Jesus is still the vine. Listen to me, you better know who Jesus is. You better get some convictions and know that He's the Son of God and know that He's our Redeemer and that He's coming back for us. Because in these lives, listen to me, I don't care who wins the election. Well, I do care. But it doesn't matter who wins the election in November. Our Lord is still coming back. He's coming back. And the key, the key is to make sure we're prepared for it. we got to get a little bit of conviction about us and stay put and continue and remain and understand He's our source of strength. He's our source of peace. He's our source of hope. He's everything we need we got to have some conviction. But when we get that conviction, there needs to be a little correction. Ooh. People don't like to be corrected. But according to verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. There's some correction that follows The conviction. And then verse 3 says, Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. It means to be thoroughly cleansed. You see, one of the greatest things we need to remember is there is a God and I ain't Him. He is the vine, I'm the branch. And when I'm the vine, I get in trouble. He is the vine, I'm the branch. What does that mean? That means he's going to clean you up. He's going to get the mess out of your life. You're still rebelling against him, but he loves you anyway. He's going to clean you up, that which is vile, that which is ungodly, that which is disgraceful. See, as long as you've got that sapling tree sucking the life out of you, you're never going to have joy. But when you have the conviction that he is the vine, and then he begins to correct you and dresses you right and you begin to talk right and walk right and act right and, and think right, Jesus will clean you up. He'll clean you up. Now, you, you, I know some people don't want to hear that, but I'm just telling you, He'll clean you up. One thing you need to learn, dear folk, He's got the necessary resources to get your attention. You might think you're going to slip off and hide from Him, but He knows where you are. He knows where you are. So there's a conviction and then comes correction and then there's a connection. He that abideth in me and I in you. Let me ask you something this morning. Have you lost your connection? Now, I'll hasten to say this. Everybody doesn't agree with this. I wish I didn't either. But I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I think Technically, the Bible teaches us that it's theologically impossible for you to lose your salvation. John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. I don't give them six-month probation. I don't give them two-year and then back payment program. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And he said, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man's able to pluck them out of my hand. Now, I'm not belittling that point. I wish, I believed that you could lose it because I think some of you would work harder for the glory of God if you thought you'd go to hell if you didn't come to church. But technically, he's not talking about losing your salvation. You say, well, good grief. I'm talking about losing your connection. And please don't get upset with me either. If you don't want me to pick apart what you do, don't put it on Facebook I hear people say and I'm not referring to anybody in this room I'm talking about folk down the road <laughs> they get up on Sunday morning and they'll say something like this got to get ready got to get my Jesus on got to get to church get my worship on today well where Jesus been all week why are you just putting him on on Sunday morning He needs to be on. He needs to be on all the time on most of us. And then we still falter and fall. Listen, worship is not something that you do just on Sunday morning. If this is all you getting a Jesus all week, you're malnourished. Got to get my Jesus on. No, you need to spend the whole week abiding in him, abiding in him. Jesus said, abide in me. Yeah, but church is over. Stay put. That's what the word abide means. Stay put. Remain. Yeah, but the church is, 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 the lights are going off. Stay put. Folks are going home. Stay put. Well, the song service is over. Stay put. Well, my wife's not in the room. Stay put. My mama's not looking over my shoulder as I'm on the computer. Stay put. I'm on the job, stay put. I'm on the ball court or the ball field, stay put. That's what he's saying. Abide in Christ. You've got to have the connection to know who he is. He said, I am divine. You've got to have the correction. He prunes us and purges us to bear fruit. You've got to have the connection. Stay put in Jesus. Nothing else matters. And then, fourthly, there's a conclusion. Now, some of you are real excited But this is not the conclusion for the sermon. This is point number four. It's the only word I could find with a C that started. It's a conclusion. (laughs) You say, look at verse five. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You you know why Jesus is saying we got to abide in him? Because he knows that if we don't abide in him, we don't have a chance for anything else. I've seen many folk think they're going to abide in the world's standards. It fails. Oh, if I could just get that next house, if I could get that next job, oh, if I could get a new wife. Oh, bless God, if I had a new wife. It's gonna all fail. Let's be honest, we've tried many of those things, the world's goods and the world's dreams and the world's fame. Some of you tried it last night. The world will never be compared to what Jesus can do for you. He's our source of strength, hope, and peace. You see, I can't preach right, I can't sing right, I can't give right, I can't live right. Except I abide in the vine. When I am the branch and he is the vine. And I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me. It works. That your joy may be full. Let me give you this last thing and I'm through. Starts with a C. Chastise. (laughs) Look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gathered them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned, severely punished, removed, tossed into the fire. As I mentioned, I don't believe that this is talking about losing your salvation. I think it's a revelation from God that they never had their salvation. Hmm. If you were to ask me, what's the hardest thing in all your ministry, almost fifty years that you have to deal with. It's people in the church being deceived. It's it's just knowing the discernment that there are fakes and crooks. And then somebody comes down and says, Oh brother Charles, I, I saw this. Oh, what a what an exciting message this was. And I listen and there's three or four good points and then the rest of it's heresy. And I say, Man Don't don't be deceived. You see, we parents and grandparents ought to be telling our children about Jesus. We ought to be sitting down with the Ten Commandments. If your child's 10 years old and you've never sat down with him and gone over the Ten Commandments, shame on you. Shame on you. We run ourselves crazy carrying them to every activity in the world. I mean, we got piano. We got dance. I'm talking about my family. We got uh, literally, we got uh, band. We, we got, I mean, it's just on and on and on and on. And we get ready on Wednesday night. Well, I tell you, where's should give out? I just don't think I'm going to go. Could I tell you something this morning? If you're a parent in here this morning or a grandparent, your kids next door are loving what they're getting over there. They're loving it. But there will come a time when they won't. Because many times we've shown them that everything else is important except the house of God. And there'll come a time when they'll say, I I don't want to go. Well, you didn't go. I remember a lot of times we didn't go. Why do I have to go? We're not going to go. I'm telling you, you better raise them up right now in the house of God. And I'm telling you, daddies and mamas, you need to get yourself to the house of God. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if we decide to have church every night of the week, you ought to be here every night of the week. Why? That your joy might be full. You don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. Churches are full this morning of fakers and pretenders people putting on a show. Look, Judas, Judas, my soul, he ate with those people. He slept with those people. He was with them day in and day out. And when Jesus said, one of you's going to betray me, not a one of those men say, it's old Judas, I knew up front he wasn't all right. Not a one of them. You know what they said? Lord, is it I? Is it I? I'm a branch. I'm a branch. I'm a branch. You want to know how you're going to find out you're not a branch? When you wake up in hell one morning. And then it's going to be too late. You better listen to me. I'm telling you, you better nail this thing of salvation down. I don't care if you're 15 years old or if you're 80 years old. The most important decision you'll ever make in all your life that will affect all of eternity is have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's real simple. It's an ABC thing. A, admit you're a sinner. Well, everybody knows I'm a sinner. No, that's not what I said. You admit it. You admit it, big shot. You just get up and say, look, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm undone. I can't save myself. B, is to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You said that's kind of far-fetched. Not for those of who have been saved. It's not far-fetched. It's the power of God unto salvation. And then C, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart God raised you from the dead, and according to Romans uh, 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can be saved this morning, right now. So well... See, a lot of folk are dependent on their church membership. I'll get people, they'll say, uh, can you find my letter? Good grief. (laughs) Their church is much more organized than we are. (laughs) You're looking for your letter, just write one out and make it up. (laughs) Sign Charles Hunt on it. It'd be worth just what you make up. A lot of folk depending on denominationalism. A lot of folk are depending on the fact they went through the baptistry. But listen to me. You can't stay put in Christ. You can't remain in Christ. You can't abide in Christ unless you first are in Christ. The rest of it's just clawing on with your fingers. You've got to be in Christ in order to abide in Christ. And now, I'm not sure why folk want to do it, but they'll, they'll want to gamble on all these good things that they think may bring them eternal life, the good works they do, the amount of money they give, the water baptism, the denomination, the fact that my granddaddy was a preacher and all of that, and all that's fine. I just wonder why you want to gamble on it when the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. He's talking about Jesus. The Father has made him to be sin for us. He who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why would you want to gamble on good works when God's already said, I sent my son to die on the cross for you so that he could robe you in righteousness? Now, I got some news for you. If you you think you're going to die without any sin in your heart, you you probably need to be down here at the altar, and before you can turn your head, you need to have a heart attack and die right here because every one of us are going to fall. But I'll tell you the good news of those who have Jesus. When judgment is pronounced on me, and I bow my head and said, "You're right. No need arguing with him. He's right. He's not a highway patrolman. he's God. You don't need to argue with him and say, oh, "I't no. He's right." And then suddenly Jesus stands up and says, "He's one of mine." And he takes that white robe of righteousness and drapes around me. And the Father says, "Come on in. come on in. Let me tell you this preacher could go to bed tonight and die of a heart attack and never wake up and be thrilled beyond measure if I knew every one of you had made that decision I plead with you quit trying to be in Christ abide in Christ until you get in Christ and when you get in Christ suddenly you don't have to come to church you want to come to church you don't have to witness you want to witness you want to. It's a joy. It's a privilege. All of this so that our joy may be full. Father, would you sweep over this place this morning? Have your way in our lives. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Touch the hearts of men, women, young people, and children. I pray, Lord Jesus, not a soul could walk out of this building. Lord, may your spirit be so strong in this place that people couldn't get up and move until they first came to you and surrendered their life to you. Maybe there are others in this place this morning and they need a church home. And they know they've been saved. And they want to serve the Lord. God, if it's your will, if that's what you want, you send them. Help them to be the man and woman of God you want them to be. Maybe in this building this morning there are those who know they're saved. But the cares of life, oh my, we're so busy, we're so tired, we're so weary, we're worn out. And we just kind of seem to withdraw. And the more we withdraw, the colder we get toward you. Oh God, I'd ask you, break our hearts again. Warm us up that we'd be thrilled to witness for you, that we'd be so happy to be able to give every dime we've got to you, that, Lord, we'd be thrilled beyond measure just to lift up the name of Jesus. Bring us back into that. Connect us again, Lord Jesus, that we might live for you. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.